Hello, welcome to Love, Food, Hate, Money. The show where we talk about food and we hate money. True. <laughs> this is, I'm going to be one of the hosts today. Um, not tomorrow, though. <laughs> um, I'm Jonah, and this is co-host Courtney. Hey. And let's jump into it. What are we drinking today? We are drinking the beautiful snapping sound. It was a summer shandy from Line and Kugel. One of my favorite good cheap shitty beers. It's a perfect pool beer. Especially because this is the one in a can, not in a bottle, and that makes a big difference. I like this beer because you don't have to think about it. You can just drink it, and it doesn't have to be a whole song and dance. But if you drink enough of it, you will do songs and dance. <laughs> that would be a lot of summer shandy. I don't know. I think it's like at 4% ABV. Pretty sure if you drank a whole 12-pack of these. Yeah, 4.2. If you drank all of these at once, you would probably feel something. Bloated. I just want to feel something. <sighs> Do I have 12 summer shandies for you? Oh, man. I, we might need them to get through this episode. So today we're talking about the TV show The Bear by FX, right? They're the ones on FX. On FX. And it's on Hulu. We watched the whole thing and we have opinions. So if you haven't watched it, <laughs> if you haven't watched it, spoilers, obviously, we're going to talk about the whole show. We've watched all eight episodes. So go watch it and come back. Because we're very committed people. Eight whole episodes. That's a lot of commitment on our part. So you're welcome. Um, obviously, all of our opinions are our opinions and are based on our own experiences. So if you're like, actually, no, that has happened to me or... I know somebody that that happened to. Okay, cool. Like, that's that's their experience. I can't speak to that. Jonah can't speak to that. Um, oh, I can speak to it. <laughs> Jonah probably has opinions on it. Um, so just keep that in mind. Like, again, this is it's a, what our experience was. Also, our opinions are vastly different from most of the critical reviews of this because it is a lot of people are really into it and putting it on the pedestal of the the pinnacle of food media. Well, I think, and this is really like where it differs for us, right? Is people can watch it as entertainment or you can watch it from the point of like where I think I watched it of looking for things to nitpick because the way that the industry is portrayed in media, there's kind of like twofold to it where like one is it's great. It's happy, bright colors, next food network star. Is it cake? Is it cake? I don't know. Probably. And you have, have to know if it's cake. Like that kind of world of like the glamorous chef life, which is where it leads a lot of people astray into thinking they can open restaurants and then they go bankrupt and their families hate them. Or get to the opening the restaurant part. They're like culinary school. That sounds great. Uh we'll do an episode on culinary school. I think actually when Angel comes on, we'll do that episode because she hates it as much as I do. It'll just be us talking and then just <laughs> gentle <weeping>. just, <laughs> But then you also have the dark side of it, which I think like Anthony Bourdain is really known for kind of giving the more realistic side of things. I think even some people might say that like some of Gordon Ramsay's stuff almost falls under that. But I think he's more in like the entertainment area and less in like this is how this shit really goes. He's from an interesting. It would he'd be a fun person to talk to about it because he. I'll call him. I'll has, get him on an episode. I would say at the apex of where real food and TV food meet in the middle. He meets the middle, and he's at the very tippy top of that because I mean he 
did work for Marco Pierre White and got into mm-hmm. fist fights with him and has run Michelin star restaurants. So he, he does knows know his stuff. how to do everything. Mm-hmm. You can even watch, like if you watch MasterChef, like, yeah, he breaks down any protein correctly and quicker than most people that are in kitchens on a daily basis okay. without like the visual effects, which is another. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that <laughs> sort of pet peeve of ours, which is funny because a lot of the cast of the bear, specifically the actor that plays Carmi, mm-hmm. talk about how you like went to restaurants and worked to restaurants and like learned some of the stuff. And then they do the same food editing shtick where the person, the actual actor can't do anything. So they'll just cut to direct to close hands. up of hands, just very close, like, or whose hands like are they? They're definitely his hands. Close food shots where it's almost distorted with how close it is, and then they kind of pan out really slowly, and it flashes between the top of the person and their hands, and you're like, okay, like I, no, I no one here is actually doing anything other than food styling, which is a job, which is totally but... fine, and I understand that, like in production, like you have to do what you have to do to make episodes in a timely manner and you can't have these people learn all of these skills overnight but those shots definitely bother me (laughs) whenever I'm watching anything that's food related especially when it's not actually cooking Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is like you have dramatizations so the show would be it's a fictional story drama comedy dramedy and then you have like your average cooking show where people are going on and they're actually cooking under time restraints um quote time restraints yeah we'll talk about that eventually too because the behind the scenes on shows like iron chef and chopped and stuff um which we know a couple people who have been on chopped so we can we can get the down and dirty on that but uh there's a little movie magic in there for sure a lot of movie magic (laughs) but to get to Uh, the beef of the matter here. Um, Let's get into the bear. So the premise of the show, if anyone has not watched it or does not plan to, uh, Carmi, Carmen, he's uh, the lead of the show. His story is that he had been working at the highest level restaurants in the world. He had a James Beard award. He had won like a rising star award. Um, very to talk about him like he is the hot shit <laughs> uh very acclaimed chef his brother tragically dies suddenly of an overdose and he is willed his restaurant essentially so he comes back to chicago and tries to get this restaurant up and running again and it's basically a, a beef sandwich shop the beef the beef of chicago land of chicago yeah <laughs> Um, and they kind of, they open us on the fact that his brother was mismanaging finances. There's a $300,000 loan. Nobody knows where the money went. And there's somebody who's trying to collect the, they, I think it was like an uncle. It's like a cousin family member thing. Or the mob. Like it was, you know, it was kind of questionable. I think that if we researched it, we could probably figure out what his relation was, but watching it. With about 80% attention, it was just one dude that ends up showing up and he's like, you owe me $300,000 because of your brother. Also good to see you again, Carmi. I've missed you. So like weird Chicago. I like. I thought their relationship was really genuine, though, in the sense of like he could have been a lot more down his throat with I need my money. Right. I think that a lot of interpretations of that I've seen of Chicago is really funny. where like everyone's your cousin. (laughs) 
like, I want to know from more of these, from the Chicago people in our life, like, do you go through the streets of Chicago and you, cousin? You know what? Like, that's, uh, shout that out to Becky again. Becky, can you tell us, like, why you don't call us cousin? Can you explain that? Or do you, is it because of the loan? <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, that part's weird. And I think they even mentioned, too, that Richie, the guy that Carmi calls cousin, isn't even Italian. He's just, like, faux Italian, big man on campus attitude kind of guy. And he's my first problem with the show. (laughs) He's the first thing that makes the show not accurate. I hate that character. I Even the little opportunities they tried to make him redeemable in, they were like, "Mm, actually, let's make him terrible again. Let's make him a drug dealer. Let's make him an awful father. Let's make him incompetent. Let's give him the worst attitude of anyone you've ever met. And let's not fire him. He's just around. He can't leave. He is the beef of Chicago. <laughs> like, they keep him around like he is the electricity in the restaurant. And I get it to a point where, like, some businesses will keep around that friendly mascot that's like, oh, they've worked here forever. We can't fire them. We love them. They're the restaurant. Um, he's not that character. He's not nice. He he does know the customers as they come in, I guess, but that's not enough to warrant his behavior 98% yes. of the show. Well, and then also, like, from the perspective of the restaurants that Carmen has worked in previously, like, if somebody has that attitude and they don't have the skills to back it up... They done. They're not sticking around. And you have to have that attitude in... I guess he does have 10 years. He has the attitude of the 10 year to act like a bitch, but. Not the skills. It You got to be good. So you start off with Carmi coming in, shops in debt. I think that the, and I guess he immediately brings in the sous chef. Which, how is he paying her? Where's that money coming from? Well, she stages originally, so that he gets like a good week of slave labor out of her. Which, uh, if you're not familiar. Which is the most accurate part of the show, I guess, is the <laughs> fact that they're abusing people with. Free labor. <laughs> if you're not familiar with what a stage is, it's essentially going into a workplace and doing an audition. Um, they want to see if you fit. They want to see your skills, blah, blah, blah. But they don't pay you. And some restaurants will call it. You're paid in experience. Yeah. Some p- places will call it an internship, an externship, or stage. Well, the internship and externships is where you get real shitty slave labor. Stages are usually like a shift. It depends on the restaurant because I have heard stories of people who have gone in stage for a week. Yeah, I would say a shift to a week is the that that stage period. Usually, I think the places that do the week will sometimes like at least give you meals or something during that Which week. But is not generous. Like no, people need money to live. Like that's you're exchanging your time and effort for ex- like I understand when chefs travel abroad and they say I want to work in your restaurant for a night and I want to stage. Because they just want to see how it goes. Like, I totally respect that. I think that's very cool. Yeah, if you want to do that and get that experience for yourself, that's one thing. But for the But asking someone itself, to work for free for X amount of days and just assuming they're going to give up their time and their energy. I've heard of externship slash internship programs that last, you know, three months of unpaid labor. I'm pretty sure that's... It should be illegal. That, like, it's wild, <laughs> the fact that that was a norm of the industry. I don't know how much of that is the case now, but it's still, it was a... It's questionable. Questionable. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure in the in the the bear, the in the beef, um, <laughs> in the bear, I'm pretty sure it's a week unpaid that she's there, which is 
silly. Like, well, and they eventually also get into her story that she's moved back in with her parents because her business failed. And, like, this idea that she's recovering from a failed business and then going to go work for free is, like, such a bummer. Like, I, I don't know how, as a business owner, you could be okay with not paying people. Well, because he had negative 300,000 paying people <laughs> options. He didn't have any spicy potato tacos to give. No, but, and they also never discuss, like, the other staff. And they're getting paid during this weird handover of the restaurant. Like, where's the money coming from? Because he's selling his jean jacket to buy beef. Yeah. Do they right, just that's... work there for funsies? Like, no, like, the one lady has her son who's in high school. She's trying to support you have two got- employees are in that restaurant. There was the two dishwashers, the baker guy that I have massive issues Marcus. with. Marcus. Sure. <laughs> um, I can't remember the woman's name. I think probably seven employees. Yeah. That sounds right. Um, and it's just like, how are they still? Th- how was he paying them originally? And then how is Carmen supposed to pay them with the restaurant running at a loss? And I think with it being a drama and a comedy, they're not going to discuss the business aspect you're not going to discuss the finances except for the very grand exit right the only thing that you really ever hear about financially is the three hundred thousand, and we'll get into like where that goes but I, I thought one of the scenes that was very entertaining and actually fairly accurate was the health inspection mm-hmm. and them having had the same inspector over and over and kind of paying him off And then I think they said he died or he quit or whatever. So they had the new woman come in. And they lost their minds. And they're trying to bribe her. They're trying to keep her from certain areas of the restaurant, that kind of thing. And then, of course, they get a C, I think. Something like that. They get to function as a restaurant, but. Yeah. And it was just very much like having witnessed enough health inspections of playing the game of move this here, put this here. Like that was very. All inspections are the shell game in pretty much any restaurant I've been in, whether that be corporate, individual. It's just a really funny, like, yeah, that thing's dirty, and it's always going to be dirty, so it's... Oh, that that wasn't like that before. Like, that's just a today thing. Wild. Um, And the funny thing about it, too, is if you look at uh, the standards that restaurants have in the U.S. compared to kind of just the food standards um, elsewhere in the world, like, we are kind of over the top in some areas, um, so it's always really funny, the kind of song and dance between health inspectors and restaurants. I actually did really enjoy that episode specifically. That, that bit was funny and pretty accurate. I would say that overall, I and I, I think this will this might be jumping the gun a bit, but I think our overall reactions to the show were mine was like medium plus entertained and yours was medium minus just like dissatisfied with. I was entertained but disappointed with the show. Mm -hmm. I think if I frame it differently, I can enjoy different aspects of it. I think one of the things that really kind of annoys me is this whole idea that it's supposed to be the most accurate portrayal. Mm -hmm. Um, Do I think it maybe brings up a lot of traumatic triggering feelings for a lot of former and current industry people? Absolutely. And I think that's totally valid. But I think some of the situations in the show are like pretty absurd and that's Way too over the top. Probably more sake. to be entertaining, but that's where it also loses me as somebody who's worked in the industry. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, um, there's a whole debacle with the veal stock, mm-hmm. 
and somehow this giant ass Cambro of veal stock. Twenty two ounce Cambro, at least half filled, so the thing weighs. It was three quarters at least. Yeah. Um, and it's on top of the top shelf of the walk-in. Well, first of all, if you have a food handler's card, you know that that's not where that goes. Your stock goes up. Not on the top shelf like that. Well, no. I mean, unless it's a full ready-to-eat shelf. And it's, it that's really a matter. major hazard for safety. But, yeah, it's it it weighs too much and is too awkward and sloshy to even, like... Be, the, that scene was upsetting because the only person... That could have put it up there was a person that was like, do you need you help, help with this? And then Sydney is just like, no, I don't need your help. I got it. I'm a strong person. And then just <laughs> dumps the whole thing on the ground. Gets clobbered by it. And it's like, first of all, like he even if he wanted to put it up there, that would have been a major struggle. Mm-hmm. Even also like not. I don't know. That, that whole thing was that whole exchange is weird because also he should have just been like, yeah, no, I'm just going to go and grab it for you real quick. Like, right. that's not, you're not like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. I guess he, you can kill yourself now. Right. Um, There were some little things in there that I thought were really interesting that were pretty accurate to working in a real kitchen, which was, like, somebody messing with your burner, turning that up or down to screw you over. I've heard of that, and I i mean, clearly many people have experienced it, but, man, I can't imagine. I, I would lose my crap. I... <laughs> <laughs> don't think when I was working in the back house side of things, if someone had done that to me, that I would have had any sort of composure. No. I probably would have put that person in the burner. Like, well, it would have been real bad. It's funny, too, because at least from my experience in the restaurants that I worked in, um, there was more of a camaraderie and not as much a... Yeah, we're all in this together. Screw you, band of brothers. Because they know that they're going to have to pick up that slack. When somebody else fails, it becomes everyone else's problem. It's very much the one person's problem, but everyone else has to suffer consequences. Yes. Um, and also the hiding knees and floss. Um, I've heard of that as well. I haven't personally experienced that. I've only experienced that once as a joke from one of my culinary school teachers because he would shuffle people's shit in the walk-in <laughs> prior to service. Uh, I bet he messed with burners while we were in school, too, actually. Probably. He uh, Original oh, bully. <laughs> Is the only bully we needed, but also like I don't, there is probably a real. There's a learning curve to I that. I think that's been sense. snuffed out, like just put out though. There's so it, many places. Yes. It's not professional to go through and sabotage and sabotage people, even if you really hate them. Like there's better ways to get them out of there than to actively destroy the business and the person and the product and. Yeah. I think the only one that I've seen personally is like freezing the knife inside of a block of ice, like taking a Cambro, putting a knife in it and then freezing it. Um, and that one was like, you left your knife in the sink, you idiot. Yeah. And that's warranted. You need to learn that lesson because you could hurt somebody like you're, someone's going to lose a finger. I the first restaurant I ever worked in, there was uh, the sous chef who was only called the sous chef half the time because he kept getting in fights with the chef, but he wouldn't leave and he wouldn't get fired. They took each other's knives <laughs> sweet spot. and bashed them in the top of like um, like one of the de- sandwich deli, the, one of the holders for nine pans and whatnot. Yes. I can't remember what it's called, but it's on top oh. of the low boys. They're like reaching like coolers over the top reaching cooler. It's like a metal clamshell that yeah. hold. I don't remember the actual. But they're pulling down a little bit and smashing each other's knives in it because they were so mad at each other. Um, I also worked in a kitchen where people would light paper towels on fire and throw them at you while you were working. Yeah, kamehameha. Fireballs, baby. 
So stuff like that, that makes sense to me. Like that. I've seen it. I've seen it. I don't think it happens as much now, but that's more from um, a worker's rights standpoint. I think a lot of people have realized that like, if you abuse your staff, people are going to find out about it. It's one of the sad parts of the industry is the, the fact that it, it brings together lots of broken people because, like, there's only a certain point of, and we talked about this a little bit with Moose, where, like, you have to have a little bit of a twisted part of your existence to put up with those conditions, um, regardless of how much you enjoy the craft. Like, if you enjoy that craft so much, like, go do it on your own or go do it as a hobby. Like, Right. Don't, go do it where you can enjoy it. Don't like kill yourself with it mm-hmm. which i think um they actually really highlighted really well and i think it was the second to last or last episode where mm-hmm. carmen does his monologue at um al alanon is that how they called it but it's yes. a group for people who has had family members die or yeah. it might have just been regular sure it's alcohol, just, alcoholics just regular aa yeah okay. i don't know if it's called aa anymore though like in the broad gotcha that's where maybe that's where i'm confused but he he does a whole monologue on like this is my relationship with the restaurant i want my brother and i used to cook together and then he wouldn't let me in his restaurant and he wouldn't tell me why and he wouldn't work with me so i went out and became the best chef i could possibly be i worked in all the best restaurants to prove to him that i was good enough Mm mm-hmm and then he died and left me this, basically this shithole. And I don't know how to deal with those feelings. And I thought that was really meaningful. And I think that probably speaks to a lot of people's experience. Just right. in the sense of trying to prove something. I can do it. I'm going to be the very best. And I think. Start playing the Pokemon theme. want to be the very best. <laughs> I think there's also. Restaurants are interesting in the sense that there's a low bar for entry. You can come right out of jail and work in a restaurant you Mm -hmm. could use that as a way to change careers you do not need to go to school like the bottom of a pinball machine like no matter what happens to you you can fall into the bottom of that pinball machine (laughs) it's the collection (laughs) that's where all the broken people go um and i think as far as broken people go one of the things with this show that i think a lot of the plot was hinged on was the trauma because because Carmi yeah, doesn't act like a person. Because he makes a lot of choices that don't make sense for someone who's worked at his caliber and to have won the awards that he has. Yeah, if you're going to tell me that you are acting command, the Sioux, whatever it would have been at, I'm pretty sure... Also, shout out Joel McHale. Like the, that was, that was so, a real... I, I had never, to pause the show and laugh with that cast. I really was... love Jeff Winger as <laughs> an executive chef. <laughs> it's just, just <laughs> something really special. Um, and that scene actually gets cited in a lot of articles because it is very accurate the way that people are spoken to mm-hmm. in restaurants. Very belittling. Yes. Um, I also... The, yeah, I guess that was... My verbal abuse was similar to that. Like, well, I think my, about working with the one female that we worked with at the first job you ever had, and yeah. having to stand there. And I was asked specifically, "Do you think she's competent? Do you think she's this?" And all you can say is, "Yes, chef," because you don't want to get thrown out of the restaurant and you don't want to look like an idiot. Except you do want to get thrown out of the restaurant because if that ever happens, like the person that's doing it's broken, and you don't really care about their opinion in the world. Yeah, and they don't have as much power as they say they have, but. 
that scene specifically, very triggering to a lot of people. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, just speaking from my own experience, um, the first restaurant I ever worked at, I was sexually harassed and I was 16. The second restaurant I ever worked in, I was verbally harassed. Um, the restaurant you first worked in, you were verbally harassed and physically threatened. Like that is very accurate, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And I really hope that eventually we will see some change in that area. But there's a reason that so many people thought the show was accurate. And I think you can kind of narrow it down to those types of scenes and maybe not the show in abroad. I just think it's sad that we're still at a point where those people can come out and be celebrated. Like, oh, yeah. Or they're not actually shown for what they are. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of industries where if someone comes out and it's like, oh, this person has punched this other person, they will lose their job. That can happen in the food and beverage industry. Nobody cares. No one gives a shit. Like, just give me my food, please. Yeah. And that's a really weird. When we lost restaurants in the pandemic, people were, quote, heartbroken. And now it's just back to business as usual. And people aren't going to get paid. And they're going to be exploited. People are going to be exploited. And there's monsters in the industry. It's just sad that people don't actually care. Yeah. As far as plot holes that we noticed... Um, and this episode will probably be a little bit longer than our normal ones just because I think there's so much to get into. But plot holes, the one that bothered me the most, and this is just me being nitpicky and... You just don't like the way it was filmed. Um, they filmed it badly, at first of all. Yeah, the edits and cuts were legitimately So pretty- there's a scene where Sydney cuts her hand on a box cutter that was left open. Very accurate. We talked about just a few minutes ago, the knife in the ice block because you left your... Knife in the sink. You leave sharp things in the wrong place, people are going to get bloody. So she's bleeding a lot. She ha- she bandages herself up. She has a glove on. She starts cutting onions because her mise en place was either hidden or stolen. I don't remember. Um, but the other woman that worked in the kitchen had sabotaged her. Mm-hmm. So she's going and she's cutting onions. And they show the clip. And, of course, it goes back to my pet peeve of super close up on the hands because the actor obviously, like, Probably doesn't cut onions every day, let alone do it at the speed of which they're going to film it at. And there's one scene where she has a bandage on her hand and it's her non-dominant hand. So it's the hand that's gripping the onion. Then they cut to the next scene. There's no bandage. Then they cut back and there's the bandage. And then they cut away again and it's gone. And I'm just like. That one was just sad for my like, oh, you could have done this like a little bit better. Like that's just a major like detail to miss especially in a show about restaurants where it's those little details matter. Yeah. I, I let that one slide. Like it's just, (laughs) that's just dumb. Like it's a weird thing to, well, and then the worst part for me is they do that whole scene and then she's sitting out back with Carmen, like with her staff meal and her hands totally fine. No more bandage. They did do that out of order. I'm like, that's no, that's not how it goes. Like, she would have still been bandaged for the rest of service. Otherwise, it would have been a cross-contamination risk. Yeah, that one was strange. I think that one thing in the show that was overlooked is, like, the massive crime of poisoning the children at the party. <laughs> and, like... I loved that, though. I thought that was hysterical. That was entertaining that all the kids got knocked out and then the the lone master... The lone shark. The, was just, like... <laughs> No, it's fine. They're all dead now. Well, he like, was like, this is awful anyway. So. It did, it did make sense. But, like, at some point, you feel like there would have been a parent involved and, like, there would have been a lawsuit. Like, that that whole thing. I was just like, this. Chicago this parents hit different. They're like, thank God my kid is 
quiet. Cool, they're dead. Love to see it. <laughs> that that was it was that very one entertaining. Was strange, though. It was really entertaining. Also, like, how did the pill thing get? Exactly. How did the pill bottle get inside of the juice? Like, it was it was on the same table, but someone actively had to have like thrown it mm-hmm. in, and like he just goes over and he was like, "Oh, how did yeah, that?" It get wasn't there? just gonna accidentally fall into the the drink dispenser. Which again, it, it just added the the show for me suffered a lot of adding drama. And cognitive errors. <laughs> Just adding drama for the sake of there being more drama. Yes. Granted, there was no the, way that pill bottle was ending up in that jungle juice open. except for entertainment value. Yeah. I did like, though, that the brother-in-law drank the punch and then got woozy. That was really funny to me. Yes, that was He good. was a really funny character. The brother-in-law was a great character. Uh, I think think it was funny that they all just like he existed for them to give him shit and then at, by the end of it Carmi realizes like no, he's oh no he actually stand. is nice and like cares about me that's cool because yeah. that sort of speaks to the industry of like oh I don't even know how to like appreciate the people that actually care mm-hmm. or you're like your fans that are always rooting for you mm-hmm. I guess we should get into the episode because that's uh, m- my major issue with it was the most dramatic thing for dramatic sake and it really like and especially because it was i think in the over arc of the story it probably is the the it's the catalyst yeah it's the major like turning point in drama for the entire show it's this episode and then everything after it is sort of like some degree of conclusion it's gonna be okay we're all in it together we're all fine so the way they set this up is sydney had earlier in this series presented a business plan um, basically saying, like, these are the things we could do. Um, they allude to the fact that she was a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America, the CIA. Quick pause. I'm looking over some notes that I have. Uh-huh. Why? There was so much gun violence. Like, <laughs> I know Chicago has pretty high gun violence. Stereotypes, but, babe. But there, there, no police interaction, like, at all. Really weird. Look, one of the producers was from Canada. He doesn't know. Oh, Maddie. <laughs> um, so basically, they, she has the business plan, blah, blah, blah. She implements a online ordering system, and they're going to launch it. And essentially, when they go to launch it, she, I guess, forgets to turn off pre-orders. Um, having used one of those systems before you have to go through and select everything you're going to allow. So that's already like kind of hard to believe, mm-hmm. but then they, they boot it up. And also the way that they quote, just like boot it up, like as service before they were even like done setting up. Well, like you, that would have been on for a while before. Like, yeah, it would have turned, would have on, turned on in the morning when you came in. And yeah, you like, even if it's first day of implementation, you would have like had it on before service started, which I'm pretty sure the way that they, filmed it it was like it was like at service 11 started. o'clock service starts all right let's turn on the mobile orders now and see what's happening yeah and so immediately 255 like sandwiches are ordered or something like that and it's like 70 chickens and like these basically it's the ticket machine just going and going and going um if you've worked in the industry for any amount of time and you haven't had the ticket machine dream i envy you but anyways the ticket machine's going and going and going Carmen starts freaking out. Sydney's trying to fix it, but nobody ever turns it off. Turns it off, does anything to stop it. Also, there may there must have been a detail that I missed on like the order radius that there was. I feel like there was a thing where they're like, oh, people are ordering outside of. Well, part of what happened is she had got the review for the risotto. 
that was in the newspaper. Yeah, I guess. So people had seen that. Then they launched this ordering and they kind of used that as people know about us. So now we can do this amount of business because. It's still wild, though, because they prefaces with like, all right, how many beef do we have ready? We have 47. Cool. How many chickens do we have? We got 16 in the restaurant all day. Cool. That's enough. And then these mobile orders start coming in. It is five times the amount of beef that they ever had in the restaurant. Right. It is ten times the amount of chicken that they ever had in the restaurant, like which they never talk about. Like they're like, right, like chickens. He's like fire seventy chickens. Like they didn't have. There aren't seventy chickens in this building, <laughs> and How you the... would know that. As, well, as like chef. you can yell all you want, like, but you're you're running this restaurant, you're running this business, and you're just yelling out random numbers of food that doesn't exist. Fire every beef that we have, like that's just really all ninety of them for the two hundred and fifty five sandwiches. Also, the the thing that made me the most mad was the cakes. <laughs> so fire three hundred and seventy two cakes. Your shop as fucking. Two cakes in it. <laughs> you have 16 slices, maybe? Mm-hmm. Why are you just yelling fire? Like, you're no, you're 86, you're done. Like, you're out of that, you're out of that, you're out of that. You're reaching out. You shut the system down. You reach out to everyone and say, hey, there is a glitch in our system. We literally don't even have this food. Yep. Sorry about you. Order again tomorrow. Like, no one's going to fault you for that. And this guy is freaking out. Well, it's, it's the whole he does the chef thing where it's like, I'm screaming at everybody. You're all fucking stupid. You don't know what you're doing. I'm going to smack this donut out of your hand out of spite. Also, I hate donut guy. Marcus? He's so, that whole I think arc, Marcus is adorable, but I think. It's adorable, but so stupid. He made a lot of really stupid choices. Like, I get, like, having your interest in your one perfect donut, but, like, you literally have to make two cakes. That's your job. You make two cakes a day is what <laughs> they're showing in the show. And he's like, are the cakes done yet? I haven't even got them in the oven yet, but I'm here just, like, slowly patting this donut batter. Like, what the hell is happening <laughs> in those scenes? He, he dumps the cake mix into the um the hobart and then the power goes out yeah he like overruns the hobart and that causes the power to go out like that's not how electricity works like the hobart's not gonna like try and pull more power to power through it like that's it's already maxed out who knows what's going on with their electricity though with the way the bills have been handled there but like all that whole arc of him being like i want to be the best i want to be a dominique ansel i'm gonna create the new queen of mon with my perfect donut like the whole thing was cute but not how it works like you get your shit done yeah and then you can do your side projects and then you can do your side projects or you have it balanced out better especially if you're in that baking portion of the of the business like Mm -hmm. you have your your cakes are cooling for 45 minutes go ahead and like gently pat your donuts during those 45 (laughs) minutes you fucking weirdo (laughs) well and i also think that speaks to the lack of leadership like this whole idea that um sydney was supposed to just come and be sous chef Tell everybody what to do. He didn't listen to her when she did give him instructions. Sexual tension. Yeah, that's they probably will play that up in season two, which play has that been up confirmed. In season one, because they were no, like, no, but they'll follow on, through on it. Come on over to my place. I'm gonna serve you some Chilean sea bass with my <laughs> tweezers. Like, what is that shit? Oh, that's another. That's a whole other thing. But that we'll, scene was. We'll get there in a minute. Horrifying. Um, but yeah, the, this whole scene of him just losing his mind over firing food that they don't have, yelling at everybody. Sydney walks out, which I think is really important to note. 
she should have walked out way before, personally. She should have walked out after, like, day two, but she was like, he's the mostest excellentest chef. Which my I'm dad pretty sure is a direct quote, here. because, like, the way that she said it, she's like, oh, you're the most excellent. Like, w- no one talks like that. <laughs> Who, you're, no. No, she reminds me a lot of me when I was, like, fresh and green. This woman is, like, 23. yeah. I was and already like but <laughs> failed out of business, like had a catering business and then failed it out somehow, some way. Yeah, we're gonna have to ask some people who have actually started successful businesses about the the growing too much too fast because I don't understand that concept, especially in catering when you can tell people you can't do their event. <laughs> the thing about <sighs> catering, especially, is before anything is done, there's contracts. Yep. And if you're having an issue with, hey, I'm busy this weekend, you're not, there's not, the person that you originally had that contract with that is keeping you in business is going to be like, well, you didn't get my friend at the same time, so, like, fuck off. Like, that's not. (laughs) That part was a little weird to me. I understand business is failing, but I don't understand the growing too big, too fast part. So we got to, we got to do some research. Especially for catering. And also too big, too fast is an interesting thing. For catering specifically, because you can charge more for catering. Like, yep. that's something that you're and able to... And you can to, weed out events you don't want to do. You can weed out events you don't want to do. You can charge more. It's, like, the most basic thing of supply-demand or even, like, the, our capitalist hellscape is if you want to charge more, less people are going to show up, but you'll still get that same amount of revenue or, like, you'll figure out your worth that much. Mm-hmm. You can't do that quite as much with actual restaurants because food right. class has to stay within a certain percentage or people will lose their minds on you. And you are you can't really control how many people come through the door unless you're reservation only. Right. And few places can run off of that. Yeah. It's a certain caliber of restaurant. Um, of course they do end up all, they all make up. They all, the apology tags go out. They all end up coming back to the restaurant. So she stabs the cousin in that, <laughs> in that fucking. He backed into the knife. That was his fault. But like she did threaten to stab him first. The, that whole thing where he's like, "You're not going to stab me," and then he, she's like, right up on him with the knife. Like that, I don't think that would happen. Oh, uh, people absolutely get stabbed in kitchens. I, I guess, but like not. He would have stabbed her. He'd have been like, "All right, fuck off," and then stabbed her like before, like little baby girl that has no intent in the world. Well, I think she also that was an interesting episode for her in the sense that she got really mean. She told him nobody fucking likes you you're a loser your daughter doesn't have anything to do with you because you're such a bad person she was right (laughs) um and so like and that was out of character for her like that was her essentially breaking which was interesting character development and i appreciated that but the absurdity of not understanding how to handle mobile orders in this day and age was like too much for me it was you comically just, how, how you just shut it off. Like you don't. At that point, you look at it and you laugh. Like you don't. Oh yeah, lose you go. This is stupid. Let's. You're like, all right, we're sold out for the day. Like it is what it is. Like we'll- let's see how many of these we can handle. We figure out how to call the rest of the people. You either offer them a coupon. You offer them another time they can come in, a free sandwich. Excuse me, whatever it is. And you handle it. You handle it. You don't just start yelling. <laughs> so upsetting. And I, I think this is where we really get back into the trauma response of him not dealing with his brother's passing. Is him not even like being in the right mind to handle running a restaurant because he's 
guess. He's not, he acts like he's meticulous to make some scrub with toothbrushes, but then they pan to all kinds of stuff where there's shit under the stove. A pack of cigarettes gets left on the stove, catches fire. Like, by him. By him. Like, there's so many little details that he's missed along the way. For this to be the thing that he, like, loses his shit over is kind of like, you obviously need help, and this is, like, a trauma thing, but I don't see how that's accurate to all restaurants. It's the only way the show justifies itself is that, like, oh, he's not in his right mind because he is a recovering alcoholic, but that's still not... I would argue that no chef is in their right mind because they're working in restaurants. That's the that's a fair argument. I think most people that we know would agree, but it's still so the, the fact that the backbone of this being the most accurate, quote unquote, most accurate portrayal yeah. of Chef's Trump. Like, no, like you had five like decent like there was some. Oh, good that scenes. was traumatic. Like, that's not mm-hmm. accurate to how the to how it really works. Like there are like. Uh, if you worked in a go work at a fast food restaurant for like five minutes like it's not how it works (laughs) Uh, you could argue there's different tiers and they work differently um but as we kind of have never worked in a three michelin star restaurant that then and then took over a beef sandwich shop and forgot how to breathe not yet it's coming guys stay tuned someday we're working on it um Three Michelin, beef sandwich shop, what's two plus two? Like, he just loses his entire brain through that entire, like, the, the, I think that's the thing that upset me the most. Sure. There are so many things that this wouldn't have been done that way. If you're talking that you're the hottest shit in the world and you come into this little beef shop and then you take over, like, you're not going to run it that way. Yeah. So to kind of wrap us up here, we have a few minutes left. Um the end of the show, or where they leave it hanging. The stupidest part of the entire show. <laughs> the fact that they're getting a season two off of it is upsetting. Yes, that was confirmed seven hours ago as of this recording. So, they are going to do season two. Um, essentially, there was a note found really early in the season that Richie ended up rehiding that was to Carmi from his brother. And the note was basically like, I'm proud of you, or I love you, or something. And then on the back was the recipe for the spaghetti. In the first episode, there's a whole debacle of, we're not fucking serving the spaghetti. And he throws a half-open can of spaghetti away. And on the recipe card, it says... Spaghetti sauce. Yes, it's a sauce recipe. On the recipe card, it says, the small cans taste better. For some reason, and I don't know what... I don't remember exactly what the cause was. He goes and starts opening all the cans. No, he was in the middle of making something else. Oh, that's so, right. No, he, he he got mad at the beginning when he had to make it, and he's like, why are we ordering these stupid little cans? Yes. Like, why, why are we, we ordering 10, 10 cans? cans? And then he had to explain what 10 cans were. And then the cousin was like, I don't know, we just always use the little cans. It's like, don't mess with our tradition, which right. is a big part of the show, too, is the cousin coming to terms with, like, the neighborhood changing and yada, yada, yada. And so they he stops in making the spaghetti originally because he doesn't want to make the spaghetti because it's his restaurant now except that was the only ever only time he ever stood by that he was like it's my restaurant now and then after that he was like i don't have any ideas <laughs> so dumb. and your dish isn't good enough so it's not going on the menu but yeah so he does that and then later on he gets shown the little letter and then he gets all sad and nostalgic so he decides to make the recipe the way that the card says it and then just starts cracking into cans Yes, and in all of the cans, mysteriously, is wads of money. Wads of cash just wrapped up in plastic wrap and shoved into 
little little baby cans of tomato product. The 28 ounce cans, I think is what they were. But yeah. um few questions on that. Who owns the canning plant that you paid them to put the money in the cans? How, yeah, how the hell do you get the money in? The, like, what? So his brother was a really world class mu- mu- musician. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Magician? That's the word. <laughs> world class magician. So you have a world class magician as your brother, and you're over here like running a beef shop. Like, you, you need to get Penn and Teller involved. Like, this is uh, ridiculous. How to get in there? Um, they're going to be short three, of 300000 because he threw the one can away. So that's Yeah, they're Idiot. only at like 295000 Right. Who knows? Heavens knows how much um, money was in each can. The amount of mess they made to open those cans. Like, I understand the they did excitement. it all in the center of the floor. It was really, like, funny. But it really upset me, the mess that they made, because then you're going to have to clean all that up. Uh, my OCD could never. And then this idea that at the end of that episode that they were going to now open their dream restaurant. So dumb. No, you have a $300,000 debt. That's where this money goes. You got to clear your debt. Unless you're trying to like subvert the guy that is like comes into the restaurant on a daily basis and be like, what happened? And you're like, oh, nothing. We're just like renovating the place now and making we're a whole super new restaurant. Successful. We just, we're just, he's like, where is my money? Like he would immediately collect on that. Came over like, no, no, you're not getting your little, I'm the bear. Bar seating. Four them, look, yeah, the, the Sydney coming back, being like, I forgive you now. Are we going to have bar seating in this fun little restaurant that we're going to open up Sandwich off the money that's already window. accounted for? Like, what is happening? That's not. It's just bad business. And like. It's not even bad business. It's not real business. That's not <laughs> possible. No, I think it totally is. I think there are people who would operate like that. A hundred percent. But I just really struggle with the cousin person being like. Oh, you're doing renovation now? Where'd the money go? Because I'm collecting on everything now. Like, I'm shutting you down. Well, and also this idea that $300,000 is a lot of money in a restaurant. Not renovating a whole restaurant (laughs) with $300,000 in Chicago. (laughs) Not to get it to what they were talking about. There's just no way. Also them being like, are we doing new Nordic? (laughs) No, you're not. You're not. Like, (laughs) you're stupid Scandinavian. Well, it's funny because they basically just described the new restaurant that Maddie Matheson, who's one of the producers, is opening in Canada right now. Which... All well Which is probably like, where they're going to film the next season. If if I had to bet money right now. No, they because <laughs> there's no bar seating. Yeah, well, there was. There was, but two it's, bars. There was the casual bar and the fancy bar. We watched that video. It, it was uh, yeah, yeah. It's so that the ending was so upsetting. Where I was like, well, I'm glad that this is over. And it's now not gonna, over. Now, now we got to watch, watch a whole another season. Second season. Shout out to Maddie Matheson. We'll do a whole episode on him. I know that you're in love with him. He's my favorite weirdo. Did it? Did this show change your opinion on Maddie Matheson? No, because again, this is super over. I I think that he is also over dramatic for the sake of being over dramatic. So I think it's on brand. Mm-hmm. But there is a frustrating element of like this could have this could have been just accurate and yeah. still entertaining. Been super entertaining still. But you added in so many weird little plot points for plot devices to just make it more dramatic for dramatic sake like the 22 ounce camera and that's not happening <laughs> the mobile ordering and then just like having a full meltdown full on bitch fit because your mobile ordering is more food than you have in the restaurant and then you just start that would like be me right now being like fire 30 steaks and just yelling it at you because I got a text message that said I'm craving steak <laughs> and then me losing my mind that we don't have 30 steaks and our 800 square foot apartment, like that, 
not reality. It's so far from what could ever happen. Yeah. There's enough drama in the kitchen. There's enough going on already without that added thing. And I think the show really would have benefited from focusing more on the family dynamic and showing more cut scenes back to his brother when he was alive and how he was running the restaurant. And I feel like there was a lot of missed opportunities. Obviously, they have a second season now to explore all that. But I think adding in this kind of absurd aspect to it, uh, as entertaining as it's going to be for people who don't know better, like I think it overall like could have been a better show if they'd really honed in the restaurant stuff and gave more room to the trauma of losing a family member and the strained relationship with his sister. And they had focused on real drama that really exists in restaurants instead of putting in, I want to say they were throwing it in as like comedy, but like, like some, the, the, the tickets, the mobile ordering like that. It's not comedy. That's just dumb. I keep saying we're going to wrap up, but I just remembered we didn't address the calling everybody chef thing. Oh, that's funny. That's that bit in particular is funny because I feel like in my experience, uh, chef is one person in the restaurant. Yes. Um, and you better damn well know who it is. You know who it is. You don't call anyone else that where I work now. You don't call anyone chef. The only person that gets called chef is the actual owner calling the sous chef chef when she's being like <laughs> When she's facetious. being spicy. Yeah, when she's oh, what's what's that, chef? Like it's <laughs> it's a derogatory term. It's, it it's so for him to say like oh we call everyone chef because it's a sh- sign of respect. Like that's the Where? original intent is like you show the chef the respect by calling them chef, but you're not you're not calling everyone that. Any any of my experience with that, and you know maybe it's maybe it's different in three Michelin restaurants. My understanding has always been. And maybe this says a lot about where I've worked, but it's very kind of a toxic, typically male, masculine persona of I'm in charge. I'm the chef. It's like being the king of the restaurant. So if you call anybody else that name, say my name, (laughs) you're disrespecting the chef. And like, it's this title of honor and you have to earn it and blah, blah, blah. Um, so this idea then of like, we just call everybody chef. Like, I it didn't make sense to me. That didn't land with me. Maybe other restaurants do it. If you or someone you know has worked at one, I'd love to hear from you because I think that's really interesting. That's a different way to do things that we've not experienced. And like, the, this show is literally our first, like, that's not. Like, what? They don't do that. No. Or if they do, again, it is being a dick to each other. It is. Right. Oh, oh okay, what, chef. What's that, chef? Oh, chef, your sauce is broken. What are you going to do about that, chef? Like, that's it's literally the only time yeah, I've heard it used that broadly. You've just questioned the person in charge, and they're like, oh, you know better than me, chef? Yep. Um, and I think also what's really interesting, um, and this kind of goes back to, like, even the restaurant you work at, like, the person who is the chef doesn't like to be called the chef. Call her by her name. Because we're getting to a point, I think, where people are realizing the toxicity of the hierarchy of the industry as a whole, especially towards um, women of people of color, of people of different sexual orientations and genders and all of that. Marginalized people are even more marginalized in restaurants. And I think as we continue to move away from that, I don't think people are going to want to be called chef because yeah, it, it lends credence to the roots of the problem. I don't personally know anyone that's like, oh, yay, I'm chef. Like, that's not, it's, 
I cook food and have a successful business and have a staff of people that mostly don't want to kill themselves. That's like the peak, baby. That's, that is the pinnacle of restaurant tourism. Like, I don't I don't know anyone that's, like, chasing. I, well, I guess I know people that are chasing after these, like, dreams of, like, I'm going to be the chef. But it is, it is, the world is evolving quite a bit. And it's interesting to see, like, where we're going. Mm-hmm. And this, I feel like the show spotlights where we have been. Yeah, it was almost like a, a look into the past a little bit you know, could still be happening in places, but I don't think those places are going to succeed long term. They, they don't, don't have <laughs> we don't want them to. I don't want them to and I, I don't like I would rather go to a Taco Bell that teaches like that treats their employees right than a three Michelin restaurant that not I'm not saying Taco Bell treats their employees right. I'm yeah, giving, wow. like I Brad's Strokes there, buddy. Look, if you drive through, it says they give scholarships. So, like, <laughs> look, their their employees start at fifteen an hour, which is obviously plenty of money to live. So much money. <laughs> That's fifteen spicy potato tacos an hour. What do they have to complain about? They're living the dream, but no, like, you, the, there's a it's a whole new world, and it's becoming a lot more transparent. I hope where people mm-hmm. are looking at this and being like, oh, that's bad. I also think that the show doesn't necessarily do the best job of saying that this is bad it's just like yeah sometimes people kill themselves <laughs> you know, like, well, I, well i would hope that most people know that's bad but yeah there weren't really any repercussions for the behavior which obviously like that does kind of mirror real life in the sense of we've known chefs we have an article that we are featured in about a local chef who was a total and complete piece of shit nobody stopped going to his restaurant still there it's still there nobody cares and i think but people should care yeah. We should take this as an opportunity to, like, actually look and be like, hey. Talk to I, your friends. Do I really want, like, are the working conditions here good? No, I hate my life. Cool, so I'm going to come in for a coffee tomorrow. Like, that, that, that situation. Did the whole staff that was there when the business opened quit within the first two years? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And I think uh, this is something I would love to get deeper into because I think... There's so much to be said about how you spend your money and who you support and what that says about your beliefs. It is literally what you value because how we value things is assigned to money. That is that is all we do. So so we value food and we hate money because we don't have any money, but we have a lot of food. (laughs) And when we do spend money, we are trying to be conscious about it. And we don't always win. And that's that's life and uh that's that's been our i don't feel like we had as many hot takes as i was prepared for i think that overall us saying that this show is pretty wildly inaccurate for its over dramatization is the hottest take like Mm -hmm. it's not this isn't how this works like yeah there's lots of i don't like the fact that they the show's quote glimpse of reality is this person is mentally broken, so none of his actions mean anything. Followed up with these, like, extra little seasoning plot points of, like, it's funny, there's veal stock on the top shelf. Am I right? No, you're not right. And you, just because the main character is mentally ill and going through a traumatic experience doesn't mean he gets a full break from reality. Like, he gets to stop acting like a person. Uh, he does, but, like... I would disagree with you a little on that, but... But no, he doesn't act logically. Like he does. Like he has these moments of like, and I mean, could be diagnosed bipolar. I guess that is the only thing that would make the show seem realistic. It was like, 
oh, we're going to cut the tape with a straight edge razor so that way everything is neat, but then have a mental breakdown five seconds later. Like, it is not. He is too inconsistent. Uh, I, I disagree with you on that. Uh, simply because I've worked with people that are that volatile. You've worked with people that are that volatile when the smallest shit goes wrong and they get an ear bleed. Um, but they're not, <laughs> like, but they're the, you're, they're not the ones responsible for it. Like they'll react to everything else, but they're not the ones that are actively like sabotaging, sa- sabotaging okay. that act, that individual, like everything that went wrong was him making stupid decisions or him being like, use a straight edge to cut this thing and then in the next scene being like okay well you're the sous chef now i'm gonna go sit in the office that's not the same person that's not sure okay i guess i see what you're getting at in the sense of like we having really high standards not following the high standards coming back and then being like i don't give a shit why is nobody doing the high standards yeah okay I guess I could see that a little bit. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think if people want to watch it and enjoy the entertainment of it, go watch it. But I think if someone wants to watch and go, oh, my God, that's what it's like to work in a restaurant. Eh, Yes and no. Yes and no. No. And on that note, I think that I just heard an order for 400 (laughs) cupcakes came in. So God damn it. I don't want to bake any more cupcakes. Fire 732 lobsters right now. We're getting out of here. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for listening to Love, Food, Hate, Money. This episode and every episode is edited by John Watkins of Feather Fiction Studios. He also does our original music. Thank you, John. Um, Connect with us on social media uh, or email us at hello at lovefoodhatemoney.com. We'd love to know what you thought about the bear. Maybe you have some hot takes that we didn't get to. Tell us about how you're wrong, and then we'll tell you about how you're wrong. Go back and forth. Yeah, become our new internet enemy, I guess. Um, Please keep telling your friends about the show. Um, We're so excited to see the continued growth. And we love you guys, and we appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I made a mess.